those tuning in, welcome. My name is Kevin. I am the Marketing and Outreach Associate with Helping Hand, and this is the first episode of our podcast, and I'm joined here with CEO and President Bill Dwyer. Um, so with that being said, just to give a little bit of context as to why this podcast was started, <clears throat> we realized that Helping Hand has a lot of resources and knowledge and valuable team members that can offer and share a lot of insight. If you're a client or a family member of a client, then I'm sure you probably know of these things. But if you're not, then we wanted to create this as a way to offer those resources and insight to you because we know that it may not be as accessible as we hope it is. And we hope that this podcast drives more accessibility to those interested and who need those resources. So with that being said, thank you for joining me on the first episode. No, thanks, Kevin. This is awesome. Well... My plan is to share the mission and vision statement um, with our audience just to establish uh, with them what we do and remind ourselves why we do it. But since this is our first episode, I will let you do the honor of sharing okay. those statements. Very good. Something I enjoy doing very much. Um, I think uh, if you're any organization, but specifically if you're a nonprofit organization, you have to have your vision and mission in your mind, on your mind all of our staff at all times. Um, we wrote our mission and vision statement with a small group of staff and clients uh, many years ago. Um, that was a fun uh, year of just creating and thinking through who we really are. Um, the mission and vision, it wasn't who we want to be. It was who we already were and how do we put it into words. And the way we look at the vision is why we exist the direction we're going, and um, it's sort of like the big picture. It's the, the final outcome, and sometimes those are very difficult to reach, and they should be because you want to be really challenged to get there. Um, so our vision statement right now is uh, for people with disabilities to be equally valued in all communities. Um, that's a big deal um, because I think we've talked about in the field long enough, probably since the 80s, late 80s, we talked about inclusion. And I think inclusion was wonderful for the time, but it's time to move forward. Um, it's more than inclusion. I think it's that we have to get to the place of equally valued. So when somebody is not there, you don't just replace them with somebody else with a disability and say you're done. It's, no, we miss Steve or Susan. We miss their value that they bring, just like right now. If you weren't running this uh, podcast, I'd be like, oh man, Kevin's not here. We can't do it without Kevin. We gotta have him. That's because you have value in what you do. Um, and I think we all feel that in some way, but a lot of people with intellectual development disabilities are not seen as value. They're almost seen as we need to be included because right. it's the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. um, I think it should be done because it helps us move forward in who we are. Right. So that's the vision. The next piece is the mission. And the mission is, well, how are you going to do that? How are you going to accomplish that big vision that you have? And if you notice in our mission statement, we don't mention anybody uh, intellectual disabilities or disabilities or anything like that. And that's very deliberate because how to get there is not put on the people with disabilities. Some organizations will say, well, our mission is to help people with disabilities become more independent or for them to do this or that. Most of them are ready to do that. And so this organization has to be available to help people um, connect to people with disabilities. Right. Um, we're gonna meet Leon at some point. You're gonna see he's ready. It's the rest of us, it's that 99% of us who are not ready. We're either scared or nervous or don't know what to do. So our mission statement is transforming lives of all connected to helping hand through genuine care and education. So we feel that every time there's an opportunity to connect with somebody, we need to teach them what disabilities is about or teach them about who helping hand is. Um, that's why this podcast is so important, I think. Right. So we can get there. Genuine care, it's just who we are here. I had nothing to do with that. It's the last 60, almost 70 years uh, of service here that is, it's just always been here, genuine care. So those are our uh, mission and vision statement. 
Do you want to talk about the logo, or do you want to wait on that? Yeah, since we're talking about what we're all about, then we may as well feature the logo. So, for those who have video, I'm trying to make it as accessible as possible, but this is our logo. Um, and it has strategically been stylized to represent what we're about, our genuine care, and how we are oriented around helping others. So do you want to shed some light as to some of the decisions that were made to create the logo what it is now yeah. and why those decisions were made because of what they represent? Uh, uh, yeah, I definitely do because this, the logo and the way we uh, wrote the name is so then we all can remember this a little bit easier. It tells a story. Um, we think that the mission is not just for the people we serve. It's the mission I walk for myself. I'm trying to transform people's lives. I'm trying to connect. I'm trying to be genuine, just like every one of our staff here. So if we start at the top, those are uh, stylized uh, H's. Um, you can sort of see it there. But the way we made them is on right and left, you can see those are two heads. You know, I don't know, maybe I'll hold it. Let's see. Sure. And then I can point. So. These are two heads right here. And this is an arm being stretched out because we are helping hand. No, no S on the end yeah, of that. No S. No S. Um, because we were founded on one hand to help someone and one hand to help yourself. That's why there's no S on the end. And I think that's pretty cool. So we wanted to keep that in our logo where it's a hand reaching out to help somebody. When you move to the colors that we chose, we did a lot of um, uh, groups with families and stakeholders to say, what do you think about helping hand when, when you uh, are thinking about our services? And one of the things that came up from a family member was the word evergreen. Evergreen means um, that it doesn't die, it's always alive. And we thought, wow, that's pretty cool because that is who we are. We won't say that we're the most innovative, but we are cutting edge in a lot of ways and we're keeping ahead of most by what we do. Um, and so we wanted to make sure there was green tones inside of our, our logo. The other piece was that we want to be seen. People with disabilities are not trying to blend in and pretend like they don't have disabilities. They're there, and their disability is a value. Who they are as a person is a value. So we want to be bright enough so we're noticed and seen. You could also see the color changes almost. It transforms in that ribbon of color right there. That's part of our, our mission statement is we're trying to transform people's lives. And the H's at the bottom, there's this little rounded corner on these two parts of the H's because the transformation does not mean that it's a completely different person. It's just making it a little bit better. It's just a little bit more positive. Not, it's a whole new thing. My favorite part of our logo is the angle of the cross and the H. And the reason I like that so much is because H still has value. I know what it is. It's the letter H. And without that, I couldn't say helping or hand. So it's there, just like our clients, except it's a little bit cooler and uh, special and brings even more value to, to the word. So I love the whole thing came together um, to connect to our mission vision and uh, hopefully it helps everyone remember. I think it's cool seeing the different choices behind the scenes to, because to, Right. A regular everyday individual, it's just two H's. But when you get into the nitty gritty of it, you realize like why those features are the way they are and what they represent. Yeah, it, it's very meaningful. That. But you, on a surface level, you wouldn't recognize that. Right. So, Thank you for noticing that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So since we do focus on transforming lives, I think it would be good to share some of the uh, team members uh, and programs that transform lives. Sure. So we have a couple different programs if you want to share, as well as maybe the amount of clients that we serve. We work with uh, children from about three years old. Um, we've had a few that were younger, but 
predominantly three years old, and we had a gentleman who passed away at 90-some years old a couple years ago, and everything in between. Um, so for our younger crew, we have a clinic that serves um, uh, public aid, which is a big deal because a lot of organizations don't do that. It's, we don't get uh, reimbursed at a high rate, but we still provide high-quality uh, therapists. So that clinic um, continues to grow here at Helping Hand. Uh, we have people that uh, drive over an hour to come to use our services. And what I think is neat is every time I hear the therapist greet our uh, young people and our clients, it's, are you ready to play? Um, so you see the kids who are crying when they're leaving more than they're crying when they're yeah. coming. Uh, so it, that's a cool thing. Uh, then we have a school. We have a school for children with intellectual disabilities, and uh, that's from early childhood, which we just added, and uh, we're sort of we're very excited about that. That's a three-year-old and up. It's children before they've ever been in school, because the more you can be proactive, the less adult services they're going to need in the future, and uh, goes all the way up to adults. We provide extra services for school-age children. Um, but then we also have teenagers and adults that use the services to continue their improvement. And that's speech, physical therapy, occupational therapy, behavioral therapy, um, mental health, uh, eating therapy, and we also do hearing screenings in there. Um, then you move into our vocational program, which is helping adults, that's 18 and older, find jobs, jobs in the community. Um, these are competitive, real jobs, not charity jobs. Um, they bring value to the companies that they're at. And the secret that a lot of these companies find out is that uh, they're actually even better at doing the job than some others that they may be hiring. Um, but they also make the environment and culture better. They love coming to work. Rarely do they complain about being there. And I think it helps other employees see wow, having a sustainable purpose in my life is valued. And maybe I should think a little more positive about my company too. Um, we do training to help people get better at their job. We do support. The state only uh, provides funding for 90 days of support, but we provide over a year. So we do pro bono after 90 days because uh, we want to guarantee that that person stays and is successful in their job. We have a day program which is in the community and within a, a building that we have. And it's sort of like college. Um, we have maybe 15 different uh, areas that they can study. Um, they change classes throughout the day. The building comes alive because you could see people coming and going. Other agencies I worked in, um, they may not be as, as I, you know, full of life. They're sitting in a classroom for the whole day. Um, where here they're getting different teachers, they're meeting with different of their friends, and it's always moving and shaking. Computers, STEM, um, one of our vocational trainings that we have is art. So it's not arts and crafts, which we do offer and a lot of organizations do. These are individuals that are true artists and they're studying and making money off of their own art. So that's a pretty fun thing to, uh, for them to learn. The last thing we have is uh, residential community homes. So they're living in the community with the rest of us um, in a regular home, um, doing what they do like we all do. And uh, it's anywhere from four people to about six or seven people in our homes. Um, we try to match up their, their energy and their, their likes, not their diagnosis. Um, it's fun because a lot of them will call each other and they hang out at other houses or they call other friends who pick them up and they go do things in the community just like the rest of us do every day. They have to make sure their house is clean. They got to do their budgeting, but we support that through case management. And, and uh, um, We continue to grow. Um, I've been here about a little over six years. And when I started, we were just over 13 million and we're going to finish this year over 20 million. Um, our employees are about 240, um, and we serve about 800 uh, clients, unduplicated clients, um, to, to be everything that they can be. 
you know, to reach their full potential. I think when some people might hear that we have, you know, around 800 clients and 240 team members, they might be wondering how do all these clients receive genuine care as well as how do we transform their lives. But, you know, do with my time here, as I've visited the school and I visited the residential programs and the community day program, I realized that everybody who's a team member at Helping Hand really does provide that genuine care that we speak of. Um, because, you know, you walk into a room and the clients are just always joyful, super energetic, and that gets maximized even more when, you know, one of their favorite team members steps in the room or if they're engaging with one of their yeah. favorite team members. So it's cool to see that although we do offer this many programs and we do serve that many clients, they're still receiving that individualized high quality care that, you know. Yeah, I, I think that's important. Um, the theme of this last few years has been protect and grow. And um, as I've already explained to you, we, we are growing and we're going to continue to grow. But we're not continuing to grow to take over all of Illinois or the United States or any of that matter. We want to stay boutique. We want to stay genuine. And that's where the protect comes in. It's protecting that high level of quality that um, not only our clients receive, but our staff receive from the organization. Um, sometimes when we focus on growth too much, then um, you have to sacrifice some of your quality. Um, for example, McDonald's is everywhere. And um, I believe that McDonald's feels that they have high quality, but their standard is very different than if you went to a burger house that says this is the highest quality meat. Um, I think McDonald's obviously is doing an amazing job, but they change their standards. It's, a, it's more cookie cutter. It's how do we get in and get out? And, and at the very least, the CEO does not know every employee and every client. I think that's what makes us special, is being big enough where we can have economies of scale to then make sure that we're running a, a very efficient program with high wages and benefits, but at the same time, everybody knows each other. And you know, I love that you said when you visit, and that's important to us. Our CFO knows people in the school and in the adult program. People who you wouldn't expect they know people because they are part of our mission and they understand it's not just a job, it's how do you connect with every single person that's, that's here. In regard to connecting with others, I know we focused a lot on connecting with our clients, but um, I remember during my orientation a few months back, you mentioned that one of your initiatives that you keep in mind when running Helping Hand is that you are putting staff first. And I just was wondering what drove you to start practicing that strategic initiative? Um, I'm glad you noticed that because that is, um, I think, a big culture difference from us and many other companies, not, not just nonprofits, but many other companies. I worked for probably six or seven agencies, and I've heard leadership say staffer first, but I haven't seen them walk the walk. Um, what I know for sure, in my heart, it's down to the people who genuinely care and educate our adults and students. It's not about what programs you develop or um, your fancy logos and all that kind of stuff, even though ours is cool. It's still not about that. It has to get to, are the people that work there happy? Do they feel genuinely cared for? Are they valued? Um, are we transparent and communicative? I remember when I first got here and I said to the, I had a big meeting with all hundred and some staff and I asked them who's the number one most important person at the agency? And almost in unison they said students and clients. And they were all proud of themselves and then I was on the microphone and I said you're wrong. It's you. Well, some of them actually fought back and they said, how can you say that? These people need us. You have to put them first. 
and my explanation to them is if me and the organization and, and the leadership puts the clients first, we're going to be in the weeds all day and constantly trying to figure out these cool programs. But if you don't have people to run those programs, it doesn't matter. Our staff are the cool product almost. They are the Apple phone. That's what makes us special is we have this cool technology or this cool way of doing things. If you don't put all of your effort and time into developing and um, securing your staff, you're losing, you're losing a lot. You know, about 80% of our expenses are people. So why shouldn't I put the most of my time into making sure they're the highest paid, that they're compensated well, that we educate them on how to use all of their benefits over and over again. We care about them as much as we care about our clients because what we found out then, after five, six years of doing this, they care about our clients and students more. And, and that's what we knew would happen. So the leadership doesn't have to keep reminding them to do little things like smile, care about them, ask them how they're feeling because they genuinely want to. They're not thinking as much about their life or how come I don't get paid enough or all these kind of things. They are so in the moment with people that you can see the programs they develop are becoming awesome and they own them so then they make them better and better. That's, and you gotta walk that walk every day. I gotta be able to connect with all my staff. I don't know necessarily everybody's name right away, but I do know their story. And I do take time to listen to them and do what I can to make changes to policies that may help them. Um, we're, we're scratching about 23% turnover and um, currently in the state of Illinois, in our field, it's over 40, almost 50% turnover. So some people may say 20 some percent, that's high. We're doing fantastic. I wish we can get it lower, but it's because we put in the last six years valuing our employees. When COVID came around and I said, we need you, they said, tell us what you want. Because it's not the first time that I asked them. We cared about them six years ago, before COVID. So they were ready to, to stand up with us. and. We didn't have to close any programs or any homes. We didn't lay anybody off. We paid every employee through COVID, even if they weren't working, because we valued them once COVID left. It's got to be team members number one, so then they can put everyone else in the company number one. I think another element of the Staff First initiative that really drives that point home, on top of everything else that you mentioned, is you know the in-service events that we have because you know when I first started the in-service event was my first experience seeing pretty much everybody at Helping Hand because it's just a large congregation of yeah. all the Helping Hand members. We do that about once or twice a year. Right. Yeah. And what was cool about that is you really, especially at the time I was brand new, but it was cool because you got to see really how driven the staff is around the mission and the vision. And it's cool because you're having all these people here and some of them are in completely different departments and different buildings, but when they're all together, it's, you would think they're in the same department almost, or they were like friends, genuine friends outside of the yeah. workplace, which, you know, there are, but it's just cool to see being able to have the opportunity to get everyone together. I don't think a lot of organizations have the opportunity for their staff to do that. I don't think so either. I mean, that this was something again that um, helping Hand had always worked into their schedule is to have these in-service days where you close everything you can close. Obviously, we're a 24-7 organization, and so some people still have to care for our adults. Um, but what we've done with that time is really enhance the moments. So again, it's about connecting. It's about that relationship. Um, Having an opportunity as the CEO to not only speak to all my staff at once, but then to have lunch with them that day and be part of trainings that we're going through. 
um, or be part of team building processes at the time, um, we really get to know each other. Um, I, I think that connection and that communication is big. Um, In-service is one of them. And then we have a big party for all staff at one point too. And uh, we give a lot of gifts away and money and food and, and fun. And then we do town halls twice a year in very small, intimate groups where all the executives come together and present for about a half hour of where's this agency at? Where is it going? What are our goals, financials, any of that? And we do probably about 20 to 22 of these in one week. So it's our meetings back to back to back, repeating ourselves over and over again. But making sure that all of our staff understand when you speak to a big group or you shoot out an email, not everybody is on the same page or understands what you're trying to say. So that's why we do the small group so then they have an opportunity to communicate and, and share what they think and we can take time to explain it. As we move through that, so the whole year, I'm sorry, after the whole week is over, um, we take every question, every answer, and we put it into notes and we send it to every employee so they could see what was said from all of the meetings. And it's sort of like our to-do list for the next six months until we do it again and again and again and again. And we've been doing that for about five, six years. Funny story about it is when we first started, I remember bringing uh, my team saying, we're gonna do this. And they were like, we don't wanna do this. And why don't you wanna do it? And they're like, we're gonna get yelled at. And I said, so you know that they're angry, yeah. I said, so pretending that it doesn't exist doesn't make it go away. Yeah. So we're going to sit in this meeting and we're not going to be defensive. We're not going to tell them, yeah, but, or all this, or you're wrong. We're going to be quiet, listen, and take our licks when they come to us. Our staff, my leadership was right. They were an angry group of staff. They weren't heard in, in the past. They felt disrespected, they, they felt a lot of things that they had to get off their chest. But what they noticed is after that meeting, we had our to-do list, we shared at the next meeting, these are the things we accomplished, you asked for. And as we've moved through this now, you know, in our fifth year, um, last year, we actually got applause from our staff who said, our executive team listens, and if they don't do what we say, they at least explain why. Um, so it's really turned out to be more team-oriented. It's, it's not us against them. It's we're all in this with different jobs. I think one of the, one of the things that you mentioned was, you know, that those meetings are also a opportunity to see what you want to plan ahead for the foreseeable future. I know recently we had our donor appreciation event. Oh, yeah. Um, just a few months back, just shy of a month, I think. But um, you announced to our community that Helping Hand has established its three-year strategic plan of growth at the appreciation event. So from where Helping Hand is now, where do you hope to take the agency at the end of those three years? Yeah, so strategic plans are sort of a pet peeve of mine. I've worked at a lot of organizations that spend a lot of time to create them, and then we don't talk about them, and then we spend a lot of money to create another one. Um, so one of the things I said when I first got here is we're going to create a, th uh, a strategic plan and complete it. Um, we did complete our first strategic three-year strategic plan when I got here. Then COVID hit and we did sort of a bridge plan because we didn't know what would happen. And then um, we just finished with our consultants and the board and staff and families and even some clients um, the three-year plan that you're talking about. Um, the biggest focus, I'm going to repeat myself, our number one strategic goal is excellent employees. Every plan that I put together puts the number one goal as excellent employees. So it's, it's holding me accountable to making sure that we still do walk the culture of employees first, team members first. Um, we also have where we're trying to improve our quality again. Um, we know we're the best, but five years from now, are we ready for whatever's going to come next? Because we work so hard with our school and preventative uh, clinic, we know that the way SILAs or, or 
residential community homes or even day program is structured is not going to be the future. Even though we do it really well, we have to change and we have to think differently. So part of that quality is thinking through what's our next big thought, which also involves technology. Um, we need supportive technology. The trend is, is that people that are working in this field, direct uh, team members, we're not getting more of them. They, there's less people who want to do this work. And I know that Helping Hand's going to survive for years, five years, with a good amount of staff because of how we're structured in our culture and how we pay staying ahead of everyone. But at some point, we will run out too. Our competitors may run out sooner, but we will be there at some point because it's just changing. So we have to look at technology as how does it help staff do their job so I don't need as many staff? Or you let staff do the humanness of their job and let technology take over some of the things that maybe we don't need. Um, staffing a home with three uh, frontline staff because someone's in a wheelchair is not necessarily the best use of time. It's not great dignity for the person in the wheelchair to have two people lift them up and put them on a toilet or in a bathtub. It also gets our staff at some point hurt or injured. So now that's more expense that can't be used towards clients. It's used towards caring for somebody who can't do work. So figuring out robotics and different kinds of lifts. Um, so I don't need as many staff to do that. And it saves the dignity, um, but also it, it, it's the future. We need to do more. And not just have a smart house because we have Siri or, or Google, whatever, in there. This is a house that actually thinks on its own, teaches on its own, to make sure the people that are in the house keep getting better and improving in their self-reliance skills. Um, the, the, the other goal that we have is uh, community outreach and that's not just so people know who Helping Hand is because I think we're getting pretty good at that um, but it's making a difference running a good organization of this size is not that difficult once you have a good team and you have an excellent employees which Helping Hand does but changing the world moving that needle that that's what is a little bit more difficult and how do we make a movement where we're actually getting companies and neighbors to want to connect with people with intellectual disabilities? Um, that's a big piece of what I think our goal is here. So those are our goals overall. I like how you mentioned that, you know, although Helping Hand is doing everything in its ability to be the best at who it serves, you did mention that, you know, as time goes on, there's going to be new technologies and advancements where, you know, the organization is going to have to adapt and keep up. So that reminds me that, um, so yesterday my team and I went to the two new homes that are being built. We oh, visited them. Yeah. And I know that it has the support of technology that you spoke of. And one thing that I recognized that was shared with me was the, the one of the supportive technology elements in the home that I visited, it was mentioned that... When the clients are, you know, just chilling, doing their everyday things, such as watching TV, there will be like an anonymous notification on the television reminding them like, oh, it's time for X, Y, and Z. Might that be like taking their medication on time? Right. So I think it's cool that, you know, these new technologies are being adapted to um, provide to our clients, especially urgent matters, but we still have our DSPs to, like you said, keep the humanity and the genuine care that you know we provide yeah um but on t on that topic is there anything that you hope our clients experience with these new supportive technology additions well as you said we got two new homes that we're remodeling and hopefully we'll have up and up and going and we we already have clients that are ready to go into this um and uh Side note too, we got a third house going. Okay. Um, we, we wound up uh, getting a family that wants to invest in Helping Hand and uh, help 
move more homes along for, for this kind of uh, thought process. Um, so we're going to keep going, you know, uh, as long as families want to use our, our skill set. But what would I want them to get out of is, it, it's not just, remember our, our name, it's one hand to help yourself and one to hand to help someone else. So we are not here to do for our clients. And the technology that we're putting in the homes and even in our school and other areas, it continually, uh, continuously pushes that student or client to be better and better, to learn more. Just because someone has an intellectual development disability, it doesn't mean they can't learn. It just means they learn slower. And people with disabilities have nothing but time. So let them learn as long as it takes. This technology, as you said, it says, don't forget to take your medicine. But if that person went and took their medicine before, it's going to register data to help with outcomes and say, Bob is now remembering 16 times, so he doesn't need that reminder anymore. And so that's showing self-reliance. It's showing that he's growing. That's what I want to do for people with disabilities. School system is done with people once they reach 22 years old. The brain doesn't stop developing until minimally 25 years old. So it makes no sense that we stop educating people with disabilities after 22 years old. And even though the resources aren't there, you know, in a school you may have one-to-one -one, uh, for a client or a student, and then it goes one-to-ten in a day program uh, once you become an adult, because somehow the state of Illinois doesn't think that uh, they need more staff we still can figure out new ways to educate and push them so they don't need as many employees. It's, it's the future. We have to get out of the 80s and really start moving towards educating and empowering people with disabilities. Technology can help us with that. In regard to empowering those with disabilities, I think also comes with you know, what's mentioned in our vision and our mission statements, which is you know, that they will be equally valued. That is our ultimate goal. Um, so, since we're circling back to that, I know Helping Hand has the goal to disrupt the current intellectual and developmental disability culture that's at large. Currently, how do you see Helping Hand combating that, whether that is amongst our services or our community connections? I, I think sometimes, you know, I, I was in a meeting with some donors and they were saying, well, what can we do differently? And when they, I really thought about it, you know, I've answered it flippantly many times, but it really is simple. Say hello, make eye contact, show that that person exists to you, see that person. I think that's the beginning. When we start trying to figure out some complicated ways of changing the whole world, it's not going to get done. People with disabilities want to have a relationship just as, many, as much as anybody else does. Um, there are people with disabilities that don't want a relationship, just like some of us do too. So, you know, it's not like don't expect everyone you come and say hi to is gonna be, oh, thank you for saying hi to me. They're gonna be, they may go, uh, leave me alone. And that's okay, you at least acknowledge their existence. The more we get them to do things on their own, more self-reliant, less with a human being standing next to them. The stigmatism goes away because it's, it's interesting like when you see a translator, sometimes the person talks to the translator instead of to the person. That's the same thing that happens to our clients when you have a, a team member there. They're asking the team member, do they like coffee? Ask them. Ask them. Yeah. But if we can do technology so that human being's not there, then they will um, do that. We have to start thinking of value, not inclusion. The other piece I think that's important is people with disabilities are as unique as we are. They don't belong in a big bucket and that's who they are. Um, some of them are jerks, some of them are nice, some of them are smart, some of them are not so smart, just like the rest of the human race. Um, don't make assumptions on anybody. And don't use the disability as blame it to, um, he's being snotty to us, 
because you know he's got uh, Down syndrome. That's not true. It's that's him as a person, and Down syndrome may mean something different. It has nothing to do with that. So since our guest Leon might have to go back to the community day program soon, I think now would be a good time to transition oh, to I, have. Yeah, Leon's Leon here. In. That'd be awesome. Let's yeah. bring in Leon. Can bring him in. Really, really soon. Oh, all good. Yeah. No, Leon. bring him in. How you doing, Leon? Hello? You don't have to touch it. You don't have to tap it. I'm trying to see if this works. It, it works. It's recording us. So oh. we can just talk like normal and we'll be all good. So, Leon, you, uh, you and I have known each other for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you remember the first time we met? What we talked about? Uh, well, I forget what we talked you're about. You're one of the best dressers. Today you're in warm clothes. Today I'm in warm clothes. But you're one of the best dressers we have here at Helping Hand. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And what did we talk about that had to do with your outfit? You remember? Uh, I forget. I dress good nice. What was the your tie? My tie. Did you remember that? Oh, I learned. I was, I was practicing a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, and you and I practiced together, and that was something that. Yep. Right. Yep. So that was cool, and then we also went running together. Yep. At our five k. Yep. Till you say I hit you. <laughs> you, you. You you patted my bottom, didn't you? <laughs> As you ran very quickly past me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You were very fast. Right? Yep. Yeah. What were you going to say? Oh, I was going to say nothing. Okay. Well, one of the things I wanted to know is, what are your thoughts about the people that work at Helping Hand? What do you uh, think of them? They're nice. They're nice? Do they, are they involved in your life? Oh, yeah. How? Uh, what do they do when they're involved in your life? Uh, they help me out and stuff. Like, how do you get to work? Train transportation. Yeah, so they come pick you up? Yep. Didn't you just tell me a story about going out to eat? Yep. And where'd you go? You just said it, too, earlier. We yeah, just what? Said it. You uh, tell them. What was it? Uh, you said Crackle Bay? Not Crackle Bay. No, that's one of your favorite places. Wings. Well, it was Wingstop. You went to Wingstop. And Wingstop is not close to your house. It's far. It's far. Why would you go to Wingstop? Why didn't you? Because I went all the way out there by, by Erica's house. Yeah. Why though? Because uh, if I can see Erica. You want to see Erica? That's another staff. Yeah. Uh, the one. Uh, uh, told Erica with uh, with her kids. Yeah. Yeah. And so you wanted to see another one of the staff. You also told me it's your favorite. Yep. Yep, it's your favorite. And then the staff just said, let's do it. Yep, let's do it. Let's go to a game because we went to a game. You also went to a game? Basketball game. I went to Tamika's, uh, go watch Tamika's uh, nephew play basketball. That's so cool. Tell me about Tamika. Who's she? That's my staff. That's my, uh, my, man, my house manager. So on her day off, you guys were together. You went and saw a game and then went for some wing stop? Yep. That's pretty cool. Oh, yeah. That sounds like a good relationship. Yep. Do you think she likes you? Yeah, that's my buddy. That's your buddy. Does she got anything else you want to tell me about her? Mm, she take, take me to the store every day I need, like clothes, uh, uh, shampoo and stuff. Yeah. Where do you live? Do you so, live in one of our homes? Yep, I stay in one of your homes. One of the Helping Hand homes. Yep. Yeah. So you do a lot of stuff with us. Yep, I shovel snow. Do that? You got a job. Yep, I work two days a week. Yep. And what do you do? I put stuff in uh, crates. Yeah, what, what's the stuff that's in the crates? Uh, parts for cars. Yeah, and I think the people at your job really like you, don't they? Oh, yeah. What do they tell you? I got the bestest worker over here, and uh, the best worker. They tell you that? Yep. That's pretty cool. And then you get to work because that's part of what the staff do, and Tanika does. Yep. Or Tamika does. Yep. That's pretty cool. Is there anything else you want to tell us about um, helping hand? Uh, you got a girlfriend. Yeah, I got a girlfriend. Uh -huh. Oh, you know. <laughs> uh huh. I know that. 
right? How's that going? That's going that good. Are you guys playing cards? Yeah, me and Sarah still play cards. And she still cheats? Yep. Still cheats every time. She takes all those draw fours, don't she? Yep. And then you just let it happen. Oh, yeah. You're a good I boyfriend. I say, you're not going to beat me this time. But you're a good boyfriend. You just enjoy her company, don't you? Oh, yeah. I just came from her birthday when she had a birthday last week. Oh, where were you at? Oh, I was at her house. Oh, you went to her house? They have any fun food or cake? We had cake. We had pizza, chicken, chips. Man. And who does all that? With the staff there? Family there? Yep. Our staff and our dad. And her dad. That's pretty cool. So you got a lot of people you know. A lot of friends, acquaintances. Yep. You got your own family, too. I know you got a big family, don't you? I'm waiting to the, uh, to the gallery that I open up again. I'm going to see, can I do it again? Oh, our art gallery that's coming up. Yeah, yeah I'm going to see, can I do it again? That'd be great. Maybe get your brothers come? Yep. Yeah, ask Marcella. I want to tell Marcella I want to do it again. And we can do it again. Oh, yeah, because I help out because, like, food, you, you get to greet with the people. Yeah, you get paid, too. Yep. Make a little extra money. Yep. That's good stuff. You go, You doing it? I'll be there. I'll be there for sure. You'll be, doing, you'll be doing that speech here. Yeah, you know, I always got to be talking. That's what I do. I remember last year I did the, uh, the flower. I gave it to somebody. I remember that. Yeah, you did. So we got to close out. We yep. got to say goodbye to everybody who's on there. Yeah. How do you want to say goodbye on the camera to all those people that are listening to us? Bye. Thanks for joining Helping Hand. <laughs> That's a good way of going. Thanks, Leon. I'm glad you were our first guest that we had on oh. our podcast. So since Leon was just on, we had the opportunity, I guess, to share the upcoming gallery night. So that's exciting. That is. That's so, a wonderful event. Yeah. For those that don't know, um, the gallery night is one of Helping Hands annual events. Um, we invite our clients and their families and those who support us. And we get to support our art program, most importantly, because yes. I remember earlier you mentioned that our art program has real artists who are compensated for their art. That's right. And... Um, with that being said, so the gallery night is an opportunity to uh, support those artists. So it is actually, I have it right here, it's on February 8th at 6.30 at our community event space. at our. I think it's interactive too. There's a few uh, techniques that some of our artists are going to be demonstrating and that some of the people that are here are going to be able to practice and use. Exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So it's cool because there is that interactive piece. So I know there is going to be some activities for um, our guests to take part in, but we're definitely looking forward to that. If you are interested in tickets or maybe even becoming a sponsor for the event, then I will post a link alongside this podcast and you guys will be able to check it out. But with that being said, and since we just spoke about annual events, I guess I will do one more question for us. <laughs> okay. Um, so I've noticed that through their time here, many of our team members develop a connection with either our clients, the families, or both. Um, is there a specific annual event that you look forward due oh. to how many families and clients you're able to connect with? Hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, each event that we have, it's a different group of people that I get to connect with. But I have to say probably, I have to say probably my favorite event is the holiday time that we just went through where we have Christmas parties and celebrations and Hanukkah parties and many other things. Um, for example, uh, the children, the school and our clinic, um, I don't know, it's over 200 and some people show up in our community space and Santa Claus is here, food and um, it's an opportunity, what I hear from a lot of these families saying, it's the first time that my child gets to see Santa. Because of some of their disabilities, they can't wait in line, um, they can't handle all the noise, or the people that are running it don't have the patience for their family. And so not only the child with a disability can't go, there are times that their siblings can't go either. And what we do here every year, um, they're able to have some normalcy in their life. And the Santa Claus we have, is so good with the clients. Um, I, I think it just makes my heart just explode. I just love being around the people we serve. That's what makes me happy. We have a lot of events that are fun and entertaining and raise a lot of money, but the ones that are connected to the people we serve and our staff, those are my favorite. 
going off of that, I think what's really cool about having those opportunities where we connect and meet the families alongside you know, the clients who we serve is, what's cool is because you really see the appreciation for what we do, especially for the holiday um, party that we had that you spoke of. Oh, it was nice because you know, a lot of parents probably wouldn't have the opportunity to take their kid to, you know, to see Santa or to have, you know, like a outing with a Christmas theme. But it's cool because, you know, that opportunity in particular was of recent and I remember how appreciative the guests were and how it, it felt almost as if, you know, they were just focused on the moment and making the most out of it. And it's cool that Helping Hand is able to provide those programs and services, but also those events for the yeah. families to connect with us. And, and that's thanks to Knights of Columbus that actually helped partner with mm -hmm. us on that. So, as I mentioned, we, we take public aid for a lot of our families. So not everybody is going to have the Christmas that we may be used to. And so we're able to give gifts to all the children. We're able to send food home, have a big meal with everybody. Um, and, and it could be their main celebration for the for the year because they don't have the funds to do everything so it's nice that helping hand does even more uh, beyond helping just the client that uh, or student it's helping the family awesome well thank you so much for joining me thank you kevin episode. this is great thank you well in this episode we covered what helping hand is who we are and what who we serve and why we serve as well as our initiatives and the pieces of our organization that transform lives and provide genuine care. So with that being said, our next episodes will feature more of our dedicated team members and delve into more of the resources and insights that they can provide. Awesome. But um, you know, we just wanted to display how Helping Hand serves our adults, our students, and our clients with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Um, so thank you so much for sharing your insight into being president and ceo of this organization i appreciate it and with that being said we will see you next month for our second episode thank you bye-bye